everyone. It's uh, really lovely to see you, and I know some of you had uh, long and complicated journeys, so well done battling through the, the beautiful British weather to get here. Um, the, uh, this, as you know, is uh, a very new thing we're doing, and um, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time in this first session just uh, casting a little bit of vision for it and explaining why we're doing it, what the background to it is, and um, just to sort of try and set the scene a little bit uh, for when then the, the, the rest of the two days begin to, to unfold together. So we've called it The, the Gathering, and uh, I want to just look at two things. That's the why of the gathering and then the what of the gathering. Um, so I, I feel the, the main thing to do with the gathering is, is the word fellowship. And um, in Acts 2.42, we have a very familiar verse where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, as we've been doing, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, I kind of feel that the the journey we've been on the last few years with uh, Enough is uh, one of the ways in which we can stimulate this devoting of ourselves to prayer. So it says they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So we're, we're trying to sort of stimulate that part of our culture, devotion to prayer. And enough is obviously just a contributory part of that. It's, it's a catalyst that, I know there's lots of prayer going on in the churches, but it's a, it's a, a catalyst to stimulate an apostolic ambition that, that, that we, should, we should have. And the gathering, I suppose, is about going into that list again and looking at another key element of apostolic flavor of church life and um, families of church life. And that's this word fellowship. A fellowship, I think, um, needs to be sort of uh, uh, dug into a little bit to understand what we mean. We're not really talking about uh, coffee and cake, even though those cakes were awesome this morning. I mean, they were like mega. I don't know what I was saying, just like nuclear power station cakes. But <laughs> fellowship is not just about coffee and cake and having a chat and catching up, although that's part of it, as part of what goes on in fellowship, just that general sort of encouragement of one another. But actually, fellowship is about deep connection, it's about a deep connection that goes beyond that. Fellowship is about love for one another because of who we are in Christ. It's not, fellowship isn't formed out of finding people you've got the same opinions and ideas and values and you all kind of huddle together because you think, oh, actually, we really get on because we're just the same. Do you know, you're just like me. We just really see everything. That, the world can do that. 
biblical fellowship is about taking the most disparate bunch of people, many of whom perhaps do have things in common, but many of whom are just completely different in personality, in background, in ethnic origin, in, in educational uh, background, completely different people. And because they are in Christ a deep connection that is profound not only theologically but profound to watch emerges. And I feel there is a danger in our world with its very fast-paced instant contact and short contact that the deep roots of biblical fellowship can become just a push button and a disconnect. We're looking for fellowship and covenant, not loose network. There's something profound about what we read in these verses. We find that in Romans 15, again, it's always useful to look at what Paul's sort of plumb line was when he was going around the churches uh, to see, you know, was he, his assessment of things. And in Romans 15, which I think is personally, it's my go-to chapter. When, if someone says to me, what's, a, what's apostolic ministry look like? Romans 15 is, is always where I go because I think it's got everything in it, in, in narrative, just describing what Paul did and how he worked. And in verse 14 of Romans 15, his assessment uh, of the church was this. He starts to go on to various things about them. And he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God. So what he's saying there is, as he looks at the church in order to assess how is this church doing, how mature is it, He's saying, I'm satisfied that you're you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. What's that saying? He's saying there's a maturity about you that's exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. You're full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge. There's, There's a good biblical foundation put into you. You're full of knowledge. Not just you know a lot of things, but you know the right things. Uh, you know, you've got a good foundation in terms of what you believe and you're able to instruct one another. In other words, you are not dependent on being fed for your spiritual well-being. He does then qualify that, which I think is an interesting point about um, Ephesians 4 ministry generally. He says, I've, on some points, I've written boldly to you by way of reminder because of the grace given to me. There are we do believe in translocal ministry that not every church, no church has all the, the components it needs to reach maturity on its own. It needs the grace gifts translocally to be moving in and out of the church to write boldly on some points. That's the whole point of translocal ministry. So Paul is saying there's a few things I just want to point out to you that my grace helps to, to, helps to make you mature. I've seen some things that you don't seem to be seeing yourselves. So the grace given to me overflows to you. That, that's how it works. But by and large, he's saying, amongst you as a church and as people, I'm satisfied this is a mature church because it's able to feed itself, pastor itself, look after itself. You're able to build one another up really well. Your fellowship is working. 
Your fellowship is working. It's fellowship he's looking at. He's looking at fellowship and saying, this fellowship is working. I'm confident of that. I'm satisfied about it. You're not going to be easily thrown off course. You're not just kind of um, turning up and then disappearing. You're building deep with one another. You're able to instruct one another. You're doing some stuff together that makes you a healthy local church. Tick, big tick. I'm satisfied. I've looked at it. You're doing well. That, I believe, is an important plumb line whenever we look across our family of churches, whenever we plant churches, for us as leaders looking in at our own local church. Can we say, yeah, I'm satisfied. This church is full of goodness. There's fruit of the Spirit I can see on every side. We're we're filled with knowledge. We've got maturity. We're not prone to errors and doctrinal um, wanderings. We're we're well-taught. And we're able to instruct one another. I don't have to stand up every week and say the same things and no one gets it. No, people are getting it and they're beginning to one another. And as a result, the priesthood of all believers is beginning to do its work. Do you get it? So this is really, really important background to why we're doing the gathering. Because I feel that fellowship, biblical fellowship, is going to become in these next years ahead a massive component For the church not just to survive, but to thrive. Fellowship puts the lonely in families. And if there's one thing that particularly in the UK and Western Europe is a massive uh, missional both need and opportunity, it is the fact family life is disintegrating, community is disintegrating, mental health issues and emotional health issues are epidemic proportions, much of that, in my opinion, will be helped and affected by biblical fellowship having a resurgence. Now, you might think, well, has it gone away? It can go away through assuming it's happening. So we can, well, yeah, we do that. We understand fellowship. But are we really giving attention to it? It really does matter. So, um, if I can give some examples uh, personally. Do you know, when, when I'm unsure... Let's put that down, so I'm just looking at that, not you. Uh, when I'm unsure in life what to do, facing some challenges, when Sue and I have got some things we're trying to process, or big life decisions, or pressures, or worries, or anxieties, the Bible says, you know, each of you should... Uh, carry your own load, but it also says bear one another's burdens. And I don't. Th- we've been Christians for many, many, many years. I we would never ever have survived and thrived without the fellowship of other brothers and sisters who've helped us, counselled us, stood with us, encouraged us, corrected us. Uh, brought their perspective, been there for us when we needed it, been there when it's inconvenient. Not just at meet, scheduled meetings. Done life together with lots of people. I would never... I have to be careful how I say this because it could be misunderstood. Understood. I would never make a major decision in life without consulting fellowship. I'm responsible for the decision I make. Yes, carry your own load. But I want the wisdom and grace of other brothers and sisters around me who I can share my life with and say, look, what do you think about this? I, that, is that not what 
God's family is all about. And if we're seeing more and more people coming to know the Lord, which praise God we are, they need to be baptized into the fellowship of God's people, God's family. When I was on sabbatical uh, this summer, one of the, the things I did when I was attending um, a home, home-based church was, um, I, it was great, I didn't have anything to do, I could just sit there and enjoy it, it was wonderful. Uh, but I just, it was one particular week, I was just looking around at people and I just, I felt God just sort of helped me catch in my eye just different people and I just kept thinking, you are an extraordinary person. You are amazing. Your story's amazing. How you've navigated that thing in your life. I'm am- and I was looking around more and more and I was thinking, th- there are extraordinary people here who I stand in awe of, many of whom you wouldn't know their names, but they've navigated extraordinary things in life and are still there worshipping God in the, you know, on a mon- Sunday morning. Uh, and I'm thinking, you inspire me. You inspire me to be all that you are and, and more if I can. The fellowship of God's people just does something within you that nothing else can. You can read books, but when you're incarnating around other people, uh, where you're living examples of God's grace in action... There's something very edifying about that. Koinonia, the word, that word for fellowship means jointly contributed gift, really. Jointly contributed gift. So we need one another for the whole thing to really work. The images of the body and, you know, the little finger or the arm or whatever, and, you know, not despising the smaller um, members of the of the body. That's, that's all in there for a reason, because every single person in your church, every single one of us here, is needed for the benefit of each other. We cannot do this on our own. We are not supposed to do this on our own. It only works when you put it all together. So that's, that's kind of the background just to fellowship generally. So what about biblical fellowship for leaders? What does that what does that look like? What should it look like? And I think this word devoted is an important word, that we are devoted to each other. There's a, there's a sense of we're in this together, good or bad, we're in it together because we want to help one another, we want to go through our pain together and process it, we want to go through our successes together and celebrate them. If it's all about consumer Christianity and what we're kind of getting out of it or, or, or somehow, is this doing it for me? We're missing the point of brothers and sisters together on the battlefield, in the trenches, saying, we're taking ground together, we're in it together, come what may. There's something about that that is going to be necessary um, in the future. I was quite uh, helped recently by reading uh, John... Uh, Tyson's book, uh, which name, uh, name of it, I've just forgot, I'll tell you the name in a minute because I'll get to it in a minute, but I'll just read you the quote first and then tell you what it is. I'd really recommend you, you get it, I'll, I'll tell you the details in a minute. He says this, God's very nature is relational, so he is best reflected not merely in our individual lives, but in the context of community. It's because of that essential divine quality that God uses covenantal communities to bring about no less than the renewal of the world. Many of us have grown up in relationally fragmented contexts, 
and we may need mentors from other times in history to cultivate our imagination of what a covenant community actually looks like. The Clapham sect is a well-known example of a covenantal community. It was a network of friends and families in England with William Wilberforce as its centre of gravity who were powerfully bound together by their shared moral and spiritual values, by their religious mission and social activism, by their love for each other and by marriage. The group's primary aims were the liberation of slaves, the abolition of slavery and the reformation of the penal system. They worked fervently for several decades both throughout British society and in Parliament where William Wilberforce was a member and finally saw the fruits of their labours with the passage of the Slave Trade Act in 1807 and the Slavery Abolition Act in 1833. Now listen to this. Because of their shared commitment to one another and these goals, because of their shared commitment to one another and these goals, relational mission... They were also credited with founding of the British and Foral Bible Society, Church Missionary Society, the Anti-Slavery Society, the Abolition Society, the Proclamation Society, the Sunday School Society, the Bettering Society and the Small Debt Society. The Clapham sect are renowned for having played a substantial role in developing what became Victorian morals through their writings, their influence in Parliament and the example they set. In the words of historian Stephen Michael Tompkins, the ethos of Clapham became the spirit of the age. That's influence. The Clapham sect models well for us what it means to be a creative minority. That's the title of the book. Right? A creative minority. Write that down. John Tyson, a creative minority. In the midst of overwhelming public opinion in favour of and even economic reliance on the slave trade, they covenanted together to fight for abolition. They were not content with the moral state of their nation and so worked in every arena available to them to see the reformation of their culture. They chose to live near each other, to share much of their life in common, including rest and holidays, and support one another's visions and goals far beyond convenience. To support one another's vision and goals far beyond convenience. Just let that soak in a seed. Having a covenantal community means we choose accountable unity over loose networks. I must read that again. This is really important for the future. Having a covenantal community means we choose accountable unity over loose networks. There can be a utility for loose networks, as LinkedIn has demonstrated, But a creative minority must be built on the foundation of a close-knit community that is both vulnerable with and committed to one another. Vulnerable with and committed to one another. In such a community, individuals are not leveraging the network for their own good, but rather have devoted themselves to the well-being of one another and the betterment of the community in which they live. The problem with a loose network 
is that as soon as there is conflict, people withdraw to their private concerns. If there is no interpersonal conflict in your life, no elements of your character that you are being confronted about, you are networking. You are not in close community. If there is no interpersonal conflict in your life, no elements of your character that you are being confronted about, you are networking. You are not in close community. Yet an accountable community does not just confront, it remains united despite disagreements. It is defined by covenantal loyalty. A covenant is distinct from a contract in that each side agrees to uphold their side of the agreement whether or not the other side is faithful. That's powerful. Biblical fellowship is necessary for every single one of us to grow and flourish and for our churches to grow and flourish and for our family of churches to grow and flourish. Now, a bracket around this. I am not advocating some sort of shepherding movement. I'm not advocating some sort of heavy accountability thing which we have seen perhaps two or three decades ago spring out of such um, desire and go horribly wrong because it became controlling, manipulative and overbearing so people ended up behaving in a certain way in order to be accepted. I trust we've become mature enough to sniff that a mile away and not to go there. But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, actually, we don't want to get too close to each other because that can become heavy shepherding. Okay, we'll just live as an island then, shall we? That's equally as tortuous and dangerous. There is a maturity about biblical fellowship that avoids either. Isn't everything in the Christian life about avoiding the extremes and the, and the errors that can so easily take us off? Isn't, that, isn't maturity a constant balance from not going that way or that way, but getting it in the middle? Most things in the Bible, you have to just navigate really well and wisely. But it doesn't mean we don't go on the journey. Are you with me? Because it's... That's why we're doing this. We need each other to help each other. And this gathering is just a contribution to give space and time to invest in our fellowship. To invest in our fellowship together. And also, as a place... I hope and trust in the coming years as a place to introduce new and emerging leaders into so they learn our ways. Not just come to a conference and hear some words, but there's learning of ways. Because you have to walk alongside someone and see how they live, not just hear a lot of information. Information's good, classroom's good, apprenticeship is good, one-to-one, but immersion into a culture, just learning and listening and getting, getting the wisdom in the room is really important. And I would encourage you to, as hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this will go well these two days. If it does and we think, yeah, this is, yeah we can, there's some things here that we can, are benefiting us. 
uh, we might over time see a momentum grow whereby we're not only training people in the classroom, but we're also being able to uh, uh, introduce them to a, cult to a culture in just a little, little greenhouse way. One of the things that um, we will, I'll, I'll go into, um, well, I'll go into the what of the gathering, actually, no. Um, we've set up the sort of style of these two days in a, in a kind of a learning community style. That's a sort of a trendy word for sitting around tables. Um, <laughs> but there is a lot more to it than that. There, there, is, a, there is a lot more to it than that. Um, and it's about facilitating deepened fellowship. It's, everything we're going to do over the next two days is to facilitate a deepening and hopefully a, a, a breadth, a broadening of our fellowship with each other. Uh, you should, I think, be, have got or be getting one of these books. I'm just looking at these to nod at me. Tomorrow. Oh, told you. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll spoil this. Like someone telling you what you've got for Christmas, isn't it? But... Um, You'll be getting one of these as a gift tomorrow, uh, which is the Building a Discipleship Culture book from uh, Mike Breen and the 3DM team. Now, I just wanted to say something about the book. Uh, I, for the last two or three years, I've actually been in a network leaders huddle, which Paul McConaughey's been leading, uh, myself and um, uh, Simon Holly are in that, and there's a, I think we're the only two from the New Frontiers uh, background, but there's other network leaders from in the States and different parts of the UK and a very, very different bunch of people. But I've been in that for the last two or three years. It's been really, really helpful. So it's like a fortnightly hour on Zoom, just going through some, some discipleship stuff just to help us uh, as network leaders. So it's particularly around the role we have. Um, but I've really found that a lot of the things in the 3DM toolkit, the tools they use, I found them really, really helpful. We use quite a few of these in, our, in, in Lowestoft, in our home church. Uh, and I, I use them with a number of guys, um, uh, men and women who, who we're discipling. I find it really, really helpful. We're not saying this is the only way to disciple. And it's really important with anything like this, the tools don't become the vision, the tools serve the vision. Right? So it's really important. We don't, we don't make a god of the tools, but actually the tools can be really helpful. As with any, anything, uh, there are some things that, you know, in different flavors and different groups, you think, well, we agree with this bit, this bit isn't quite us. I would say there is a chapter in there about Ephesians 4 ministry, which I fundamentally disagree with. Uh, and they know that. They know that's a different. We've got a different view on that. As their view is that everybody is one of the Ephesians four ministries. That that's you know you can fill a questionnaire in and find out which one you are. I, I don't believe that. Although I do believe that apostles will produce an apostolic people, prophets will produce a prophetic people, evangelists will produce an evangelistic people. But that's different from saying everybody's got one of those offices. That's about the only thing in the book where I think I don't really go with that. I want to say that because I think it's important we learn as a family to discern uh, where's some really good stuff. And I think they're miles ahead of us in terms of a discipling framework and culture. And, and they've proved themselves to be very effective at that. So a lot of the things we're going to do over these two days, we will be drawing from some of the things we've learned from that. And Daniel will explain more about that in, in, his next, um, in the next session. So we're trying to sort of build into this sort of 
slowly and gradually just to take you on a little bit of a journey using some tools that I think will really be helpful. One of the key things that I've found really helpful in the book is most of the things that are good in anything are really simple, aren't they? And there's a sort of circle they use, and they look for this thing, what they call a kairos moment. There's two words, kairos and chronos. Chronos means a passage of time. Kairos means a moment or an event. And the key part of discipleship, which I've found very helpful just to kind of distill, is to try and help people ask that question, what is the kairos moment that's happening for you over these two days? What has God said to you? What has God said to you? And then the other question, what are you going to do about it? It's kind of working through that. Now, we'll go into that in a little bit more detail. But I've found that very helpful in discipling individuals and helping make sure that as, a, as churches and as a, as a local church, our fellowship is always asking that question individually. What is God saying to us collectively? What is God saying to me personally? And more importantly for the discipleship process, what am I going to do about it? Because often we hear God speak to us and we don't then process it properly. So these two days we will learn, I hope, a little bit more about how we can process what God says to us uh, into a, a way that's really pleasing. So we'll be adding some new things in over these two days. It's different from how prayer and equipping wa- was. There will be familiar things, you know, worship, food, all the other stuff, prayer. There will be familiar things. But we're introducing some some new things that I trust will be really helpful uh, for us. The other reason why um, we're doing this is... Um, With the Courage Conference uh, in June, one of the things we didn't want to happen was to have a conference talking about courage, which is a cultural aspiration. Courage is not really an event. It's a kind of, we need to be a courageous people. You don't just have a conference from that and then walk away saying, oh, great, we've done that now. Uh, We're all courageous, let's move on to the next thing. Courage is something that's got to grow as a culture within us and become a, a kind of a hallmark of how we work. So we wanted to follow it through with these gatherings. So uh, the focus each time we meet will be about some aspect of, of building upon the courage theme, trying to help us become more courageous people as churches, as individuals, which I think will become necessary more and more in the world that we live in. Uh, we're looking to develop something... Next year, which you'll find out a little bit more in detail um, in due course, but something called Acts of Courage, where we want to try and encourage churches and individuals to let us know stories and illustrations of acts of courage that are happening across the family of churches so that we can celebrate, highlight, uh, get good examples of what courage looks like. Because biblical courage can be expressed in all sorts of ways, can't it? It's, um, it's, it's multifaceted. So it's a, uh, the gathering is a way of building upon the Courage Conference just so that we can really make sure we try to uh, build that kind of culture into us. Um, there's a quote that I found recently. I think Dave Devonish mentioned it recently at the Global uh, New Frontiers Gathering. John Wimber said this, and I've, I've been thinking about it a lot. John Wimber said, The economy of the kingdom of God is quite simple. Every new step in the kingdom costs us everything we've gained to date. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security we've accumulated to that point. The disciple is always ready to take the next step. If there's anything that characterizes Christian maturity, 
It is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It's the willingness to put your hand in his hand and say, I'm scared half to death, but I'll go with you, Lord. I'll risk everything to go with you. You are the pearl of great price. That's a fantastic quote. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security we've accumulated to that point. Courage has got to become a culture amongst us more and more so that we're willing to live like that. Not as a one-off, but as a family of churches, we're willing to say, do you know what, we're going to go for this, we're going to go for this, we're going to go for this. It's risking everything, but we're going to go for this. It's a little bit like doing these two days in a small version, because you know, I'm thinking, crikey, is this going to, is this going to work? But if you feel God's saying, you've just, got to, you've just got to go for it, haven't you? You've just got to go for it. What's the worst that could happen? We say, well, that wasn't very good. All right, we'll think again. But what's the best that could happen? We could find if God b- blows on it, and actually we gain some ground we wouldn't have, ground, wouldn't have gained without taking the risk. There's so much to be gained, but when you're in a, when you're in a covenanted, committed group, even when it doesn't go right... You say, come on, let's go again. Yeah? That's what actually creates the climate where we're willing to take risks. If we think, you know, I can take risks here because if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. We just say, okay, let's go again, try again. Wouldn't that be amazing if amongst us as individuals where there's such a culture so that your, your steps of courage, whatever they look like, everyone's cheering you on, And if you win, everybody applauds you. If it goes pear-shaped, everyone will say, we applaud you for having a go at that. We applaud you for having a go at that. And do you know what? I've learned from the way you've really handled that. Go again. Go again. That is how we will take ground. We will never take ground if it's, okay, now, have I done my risk assessment for this venture? You know, have I covered all my bases? If we lead churches like that, they won't take ground. They will, the Bible is never full of risk assessment other than, thus saith the Lord, stop worrying about it, get on with it. That, that's the risk assessment. It's, it, it. But you have to have deep fellowship to be willing to take a risk in a group if, unless you're really sure the group's with you. Yeah? So I, I would love it over the next two days if there's some of you that bring prophecies, words of knowledge, start praying for the stick, start doing things that perhaps you've not done before in a group like this. Why? Because if it goes wrong, we'll applaud you for having a go. If it goes well, we'll have discovered a new gift. But we don't do that unless fellowship is deep. Where you're in brothers and sisters, when you're, you know, if you've got a family setting or somewhere where you feel most yourself... You don't worry if you say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, are the wrong thing. You don't worry about that because you think, well, people love me for who I am. That's fellowship, isn't it? Oh, come on. Yes, that's better. (laughs) That's the whole image behind the, the Nelson's table thing where he used to have his... His harness thinking, where he'd have his experienced generals and his younger emerging uh, commanders, and they would sit around the dinner table and they would share stories and they would share philosophies and ideas, and anyone could say anything and it was okay. 
If one of them succeeded, they'd all go, yeah, good for you. If it all went pear-shaped, they would, they would say, don't worry, we'll take collective responsibility for that, we're in it together. It's okay, go again. Well done for trying, well done. Uh, you build that into a table of brothers and sisters. Around. I tell you, you can, that's why the Clapham sect did what they did. It wasn't that they had massive political influence to start with. It was because they said, we're in this together. We are in this together beyond what's convenient. And that's what made them have the grit, the longevity, the ability to... I cannot sacrifice to the level I will need to if I don't have men and women around me who are there for me as I make those sacrifices. Neither can you. We're in it together. The the reach we have will depend on the investment we put in of our vulnerability, of our willingness to share life, our willingness to help one another, even at our own expense. That's what will determine our trajectory, not how good a person do we put on the platform. That's the cherry on the cake. That's not the cake. You cannot build a movement with the cherry on the cake. Movements are built by the ingredients of the cake, which is somewhat hidden until you take a bite and you think, oh, that's that's very nice. It doesn't necessarily look much until you bite into it. So the gathering is about our wider attempt at a Nelson's table style where we have harnessed thinking to help one another do exploits for the king. That's what this is about. And I'm trusting that from even this small seed, even though it's tremendously encouraging to see how many people have come up, turned up to something where they don't even know what it is. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm trusting that as, as we learn as we do this, that this could grow and grow, and who knows, we might even be able to plant similar things in different nations, different places, different... Once we get a bit of momentum and a bit of culture going around fellowship in the same way we've got around prayer, now with enough, I'm trusting that over time, as we give ourselves a little bit of time just to refine and learn our ways, things that work well, things that don't work well, and all the rest of it, we can multiply something like this um, that I think will be helpful, not just for those of us presently in leadership, but for those who are in... I'm thinking of the people in your churches who are in their 20s, maybe in their teens, their 20s, they're just coming through. I'm thinking five, ten years, there's a, we need contexts where they can rub shoulders with existing leaders and learn our ways. I'm thinking legacy, not just immediacy. However, this you know, evolves and changes. And we all need to feed back on this, and we really want you. There's a lot of wisdom and grace in this room, really tremendous gifts. So we're, we're, we want you to help us just to refine so that we can really make this as best as we possibly can. Um, the other last couple of things I will say, and then I'd just like us just to, perhaps if the band can come back, just to give them a little bit of a notice, um, is that... Many, uh, I still believe there are numbers of leaders of churches around and about the UK in various places, and I think God will begin to extend our reach into different parts of the UK. We'll be sharing one or two bits of news about that as the 
the day goes on, um, this evening particularly, and praying into some stuff tomorrow. I don't think, I think we will begin to expand beyond just the eastern area where it's been mainly our heartland. Our move to London in the summer was a big statement of intent. And there's some other things, I think, moving west and north that I think may, may well happen, particularly in the UK. The, Euro- the European mainland, God's opening some amazing doors. Um, I'm very pleased that um, uh, the only interruption I had on my sabbatical was actually Terry ringing me up, which, you know, I didn't mind that. Um, and he said, look, I, I had wondered whether to ring you because I didn't want to interrupt you, but um, there's an opportunity. I've been doing this European Leadership Forum for the last few years, and I feel I want to ask you if you'd like to take it on. Um, so anyway, it's, it's a gathering uh, of, from, of leaders from right across many, many nations in Europe, and so uh, myself and Morris are going to be going next May. It's in Poland. It's mostly a sort of a, a, a reformed uh, setting, uh, but very, very hungry to learn about word and spirit, very hungry for that. But Terry's been doing some great work there the last two or three years. And we get the chance to just go in and do a, a sort of a stream there, looking at you know, some of the values that we hold dear as, as relational mission and new frontiers you know, more generally. The reason I mention that is that was a door I wasn't looking for, but God has just opened it. And I think it will open into more relationships. It's not just about the conference, it's about the relationships that come on the back of it. Now, the reason I say that is then, then Steph mentioned at uh, Courage, oh, I just got a vague thought about Liverpool, Ta-da, you know. And there's a little bit of momentum growing now. So things, the point I'm making is things are breaking out. Okay, things are breaking out. Now, the background to all that is this. I think we will meet men and women and leaders who are in churches that are somewhat isolated, not connected with anything else at the moment, who will be hungry for fellowship. Meaningful fellowship where they feel loved and known and valued, but at the moment they're very lonely. Bring them here. Bring them here. This is a, I hope, could become an oasis where we can bring people in to have a look at us, get to know us. Some of them might say, do you know what? I feel like I've come home. That's how most of us join New Frontiers who were already in existing churches. So I think there's something about gathering the lonely and putting them in families as well that God will begin to do. Okay. Um, yeah, perhaps there's a band would like to come back. We've got um, 20 minutes or so. Uh, just to help me, because I do like just a little bit of, to know a bit of feedback, has that vaguely made some resonance with you? You, you kind of get where we're going. But the big headline is fellowship and re- defining biblical fellowship in a way that will carry us forward uh, into the future. So um, maybe let's just stand together. I just want to pray uh, at the beginning of these two days and ask the Lord. I mean, I have been, as you can imagine, praying somewhat about these days. and <laughs> say, Lord, help us. Um, but I, I really like to pray now we're all here. Um, Father, our confidence is in the fact that all we're doing is not our idea, it's your idea. And everything that we are seeking to do with the best of our knowledge and wisdom and, and that kind of the gifts we have is because we really want you, Jesus, to have the preeminence. We really want you to have the church that you want 
Lord, so I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would flood our gathering. You would flood our gathering with your presence. I pray for Holy Spirit moments of conversation, of light bulb moments, seeds going into soil. I pray for every single one of us that we will be able to say at the end of these two days, if someone says, what has God said to you? We'll be able to say this. And what are you going to do about it? We'll be able to say this. Lord, we want to grow. We want to grow in you. We want to be mature and, and fully formed as disciples of Christ. We want you, Jesus, to say, well done, good and faithful. We want to please you. We know, Lord, that you know, you're already pleased with us. We don't have to do anything to earn your merit or your favor. But, Lord, because you've loved us so much... Because we've been forgiven much, we love much. And we just want to be the best we can be for you. It's not about trying to earn favor. It's about trying to just express our love. And we want our churches and our family of churches that you've so graciously brought together. We, we, want, we want all that we are to really touch your heart. and to see. We want to see thousands of men and women come to Christ. I'm not ashamed, Lord, to ask for thousands. I want thousands to come to know you, Jesus, through us. Never mind all the other great, wonderful movements there are. Through us, Lord, give us thousands. But we don't want just thousands who go through a door. We want thousands who go on a journey. We We want the door, but we want the journey. We want people to grow in Christ and become mature in Christ and become all that they can be in Christ. We want to be able to say, like Paul said, I am satisfied about you because you're able, you're full of goodness, you're full of knowledge, and you're able to instruct one another. We want, Lord, churches full of mature believers that can really be salt and light in the world and begin to bring about this... uh, this kind of creative minority thing that we really begin like that Clapham sect we really begin to change our nation and the nations of mainland Europe because you've got a body of disciples you can do something with we want to ask you Lord as we just give ourselves to you in these few moments now Lord we pray just rest upon us Holy Spirit and anoint us for these days together in Jesus name Amen